wonderful to see you back tonight as we uh, have this special service to ordain a couple of uh, guys that God has called to serve as deacons in this church. And before we do that, I want us to take a, a look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1, if you want to turn over there. And I want to talk about serving in the church, leadership in the church, if you will. The church, we know, biblically, is a, a spiritual body. It's defined in the Scripture as consisting of all those who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a born-again child of God, if you have confessed your sin to God and by faith in Jesus ask Him to forgive you, you are born by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, which is the church, universal. The church is not a building. The church is not a denomination, much to the disappointment of some Baptists, I think. The church is not any of those man-made things. It is all the redeemed of Christ. Now, it is historically true and practically true that all the saved people in the world can't meet together all at the same time. Uh, it'd be a little difficult. We can't all meet together in the same place, all the saved people uh, at any given time. So what happens, and what has happened since the church was founded, is Christians who are around one another meet together. And they gather, whether in the New Testament was along the river, or under an oak tree, or in a, in a building, in a home, uh, in a tent maker shop, in a tanner shop, wherever it might be, those Christians got together uh, and they were a body of believers, a local assembly of believers, not unlike Oakleaf Baptist Church or First Baptist Middleburg or Lake Asbury or any other gathering of people denominational-wise or non-denominational. Those local churches gathered together. Now, because of that, we find in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, that God gave us some structure to the church. When the church meets together, it meets together for worship. It meets together for Bible study, edification and discipleship. It meets together for accountability. We meet together locally and we hold one another accountable and we encourage one another and we influence one another uh, in the body of Christ. We have fellowship, we pray together, we evangelize together, we share the gospel. The local church assembly is important and the Bible says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But in the assembling of ourselves together in a local body of believers, there are practical, logistical necessities to the organized church. And I'm thankful for the book of Acts. I'm thankful that God gave us that book because in the book of Acts, we find that there are leadership positions in the church that God, God gave us. And uh, there are two of them that we find in the New Testament. And one of them is called elders and the other is deacons. Now, just for our understanding and edification tonight, uh, let's talk about the difference between the two very briefly. Elders are those whom God called predominantly to be teachers in the church, pastors, men who shepherd the flock, if you will. In this church, which is probably unusual for most Baptist churches, we have a board of elders. We have a group of men. Uh, by the way, if you do a study of the New Testament, you find that most local churches had a plurality of elders. There was not one guy who was uh, run roughshod, if you will, or one guy who was in charge of the church. <clears throat> there was a plurality of elders. There was more than one man who was ordained of God to preach or to teach. And, uh, and there's accountability in that, by the way, and that there's a plurality of elders that we hold one another accountable. And so elders were 
uh, given to the church and the qualifications are in 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and then in Titus chapter 1, predominantly to teach and to shepherd. The overriding spiritual gift that an elder is to have is, to, is the ability to teach. Now, I say this kindly, but there are men who go into the ministry for any number of reasons other than the fact that God called them into the ministry. Uh, and that's dangerous and they should not do that. But the elders, the men who pastor churches and the group of men who lead spiritually should have the gift of teaching. Now deacons are the second group, if you will, of leadership in the church that God gave. And the word, as many of you know, is diakonos, which means a table waiter, one who serves. And so deacons are that group of men in the church who minister to the body of Christ, who, who, who pray for and reach out and help do the ministry. They work to accomplish the ministries of the church and ministering to the families. In this church, we, we have what's called a deacon family ministry. Now, again, we have to confess that since COVID and even before COVID, we had become a little slack. And, and by the 14th of June, We'll have that bad boy back on track, but, but here's the deal. The deacon family ministry takes all the families in the church and we divide them up among the deacons. And so a deacon might have, let's say, 10 families. And it is that deacon's responsibility <clears throat> to stay in touch with his 10 families. Uh, it's a little tough for Bill and I or the staff of the church to keep up with nearly 400 people or maybe a little more. I can't look out on any given Sunday and decide if somebody's been missing for two weeks but a deacon who has 10 families can easily say, well, my family, one of my families hasn't been here for two weeks, so let me check on them. Or they're sick or they have a need and then we can be involved. And so the deacons serve and they minister to the church. Now let me talk a little bit about leadership in the church in general. Whether it be as an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a preschool worker or a youth worker, any place that God calls a man or woman to serve in a leadership capacity in the church, it should be servant leadership. It should be servant leadership in nature. Let me give you seven elements of servant leadership uh, that, are, that have been studied and are true, and certainly are true biblically as you think about these. Number one, to lead in the church requires one to listen. Requires one to listen. Requires you to listen to people, listen to them. When you listen to someone and they have something to say and you really listen to them, you look at them in the face and you listen to what they have to say, you show respect to them and you show that you care about them. Doesn't mean you always agree with what they say. Doesn't mean you're gonna do what they say. But what you're saying to that person is, I love you in Christ and whatever it is that's on your heart, I'm willing to hear what it is. So we have to listen. In fact, I would suggest that we listen sometimes more than we speak. And then that when we speak, we say only what needs to be said, nothing more, nothing less. In fact, it's even more than that. We listen and we don't dictate. That's servant leadership. That doesn't mean you don't make the hard decisions. It doesn't mean that you don't have to say no to somebody sometimes. But when you say no or that we're not gonna do that, you do it in a way that still says, I love you. You do it with a servant's heart, okay? Number two, to lead in the church as these men will help lead as deacons or in any other capacity, we are to do so with empathy for others. Now, empathy means that we associate with another person's feelings. 
We associate with their hurt. We talked about it this morning. Jesus has great empathy for us. You know why? We talked about it. Do you remember Pop Quiz? He walked a mile in our shoes, didn't he? He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So when I pray and I say to Jesus, my heart hurts because of this thing, Jesus can say from heaven, yeah, my heart hurt too. I know how you feel. I've been there. And so Jesus has empathy for us. If you're gonna serve in the body of Christ, you gotta love people and you have to have empathy for them and you have to care about how they feel. Number three, leading in the church is about healing. Leading in the church is about leading people to Jesus so that they can have the ultimate healing, have their sins forgiven and washed away so they could be born again by faith in Christ. Leading in the church is about ministering to other people. It's not about us. If you, if you serve in a leadership role, it's not about you. In fact, church is not about you at all. It's about Jesus, okay? And we worship him. And here's a unique thing that God built in the church. When, when it's all about Jesus, you get the britches blessed off of you. So, so if it's about Jesus, then everything's good, right? So if you're gonna lead in a church, it's about healing and it's about helping other people. There's a phrase now, rock star preachers and celebrities and guys walking around with an entourage Shouldn't ought to be that way, so I'll say. It's about healing. Fourthly, it's about awareness. It's about awareness. If you've ever served in the ministry, let me just say it's not for the faint of heart, okay? It's about awareness. It's about being sensitive to situations and what's going on and, and having your spiritual antennas up and paying attention to how people feel. And, and, and it's about an awareness, listen, with a biblical view. And being a spiritual enough man or woman to bring a biblical view to bear on a situation is difficult. And, and looking to God for the answer. So, so serving in the church is about awareness. Number five, probably more than anything, being a leader in a church is about persuasion and influence. Certainly not about dictatorship. It's not about handing out commands and, and being the big person in charge. Let me give you a little insight into leadership. Leadership in any organization, whether it be the church or in your business or in your profession, is about influencing people. It's about influencing them positively with integrity and transparency. It's about having built such trust with them that when you say something, they believe you. That, that is invaluable in the church. And let me tell you something, trust, there is no leadership without trust. And trust takes a long time to build. And trust takes work and consistency. We lead with persuasion. Number six, leading in the church is about stewardship. You know what stewardship means? You're messing with something that don't belong to you. You're managing something that ain't yours. Stewardship is managing what belongs to somebody else. Jesus owns the church. He bought it with his blood, it's his. The redeemed of Christ are his. They don't belong to the preacher, they don't belong to the deacon, they don't belong to the elder, they belong to Jesus. And so when we minister in the church as elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers or, or, or youth workers or children workers, we're dealing with people that cost God everything. And we should be good stewards. And you know what comes along with stewardship, don't you? Accountability. 
There's a reason Paul said, don't let many of us try to be teachers and leaders because there's accountability one day. And then finally, number seven, leading in the church is a commitment to people because it's all about people. It's about ministering to God's people. So I give you that list of seven very quickly and trust me, we could say much more about each of those. But if you're gonna serve in the church as these men come to serve as deacons and these men come to give of their time and their spiritual uh, abilities, uh, they will do it in this way as a servant leader. Now let's look at this passage real quick. The brand new church in Jerusalem, just born, power of the Holy Spirit came Pentecost, brand new church. Notice what happened in verse one of chapter six. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists or the Greek widows because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. It is amazing, to me anyway, that the church was brand new and they had a problem. I mean, the church is brand new, the disciples are working and the apostles are preaching and teaching and writing the Bible and there's a problem. The problem was in the daily ministration to the widows, which certainly included food and resources and the things that they needed, the Hellenistic Jews, the, the Greek Jews who had probably come into town and weren't Jewish Jews hanging around Jerusalem, if we use that term, felt like they were being discriminated against. They felt like because they weren't there, they felt like they weren't getting their fair share. And so the rest of the Greek Jews, the Hellenistic Jews who had come into town took their side. And we almost had a church split in the first church in Jerusalem because of the, the Hellenistic Jews and the, and the Jews didn't see eye to eye about the ministry to the, to the widows. Now, two observations we can make about this. If the first church that ever existed on the planet, the first gathering of people in an official form of the church had a problem, guess what we're gonna run into today? We're gonna have problems. We're gonna have issues. We're gonna have challenges. We're gonna have things we have to deal with. And that's natural. Why? Because the church is made up of imperfect people. We're not perfect yet. And I can tell you after 21 plus years in the ministry, somebody's always got a problem. What do you think? Somebody's always got an issue. Somebody's already got, always got a, a something that this ain't right or something they don't want to go along with and you have to deal with it. Particularly, listen, particularly if God is blessing that local assembly and people are getting saved and lives are being changed and people are getting baptized and discipleship's going on and people are growing in their faith, Satan's gonna wanna mess that thing up. And the fastest way to mess it up is to fire up some Christian to get mad about something and that'll mess it up. And so they have this issue, the number of disciples was multiplied. Now there's a lesson here for us. How did they deal with it? Because understand this, those apostles uh, that were leading that church and preaching, they didn't have a New Testament book of Acts to go look at and say, man, I wonder how we're supposed to deal with this. And, then, and they had the Old Testament law, which wasn't hell help in the new church. So notice what they did in verses two to four. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it's not desirable or it's not proper or fit that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom you may or we may appoint over this business. Verse four. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice the first thing these leaders did in the church, they maintained priorities. They maintained priorities. The apostles came and said, look, fellas, this is a serious issue. We've got to deal with this. We're not sweeping it under the rug. This is something we have to deal with. But understand this. We need to keep preaching. And we need to keep teaching. And we need to keep praying. And we need to keep doing the ministry. So how are we going to deal with this need in the church when, when we need to continue to do the things we're supposed to do? And they said, well, let's find some guys. Let's appoint seven men who can deal with this matter. And let's delegate it to them. And let's let them serve. Listen very carefully. It's easy in the church today in the 21st century, particularly in, in, in smaller churches. They expect the pastor to mow the grass and fix the door handles and, and paint the hallway. Now listen to me, in 21 years here, this church started from scratch. I've painted the walls and I've fixed the door handles and I've mowed the grass out there in that yard and glad to do it. And I don't know any pastor who wouldn't. But you don't need me mowing the grass. You know what you need me doing? need me doing this, right? So we have to maintain priorities. I can't mow the grass and not study uh, to teach the Bible. I can't mow the grass and not pray. The grass will just have to not get mowed, all I'm saying, okay? So you have to set priorities. And I, and I, I commend these guys, that's what they did. They said, look, God called us here to teach and to preach and the gift is for us to teach the Bible and win people to Jesus and grow the church. We need to deal with this widow thing and so what we need to do is we need to look out among you. Look out among you and find seven men who can handle this matter and let's give it to them. Let's ordain them. Let's set them apart. Now, let me point this out theologically. In this passage, nowhere are these men called deacons. But if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, guess what it is? It's a duck. Well, these guys are doing everything the deacons do, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're doing it. They're set apart. They're set apart to serve in the church. And so they find these seven guys. They said, look out full among them. Look at the qualifications. Number one, they need to be full of the Spirit. What is that? Well, that means they're giving evidence in their life that they're following Jesus. Evidence in their life that, that God is directing them. And they're living with a testimony. Qualified simply because the Lord has saved them and the Holy Spirit's leading them. And they live a life of testimony. You can find specific qualifications for these men, and I'm not going to deal with those tonight. But the key is this, above reproach. You know what above reproach means? Doesn't mean perfect or none of us could serve. It means there's no handle, nothing on their life you can grab a hold of to bring ill repute against the name of Jesus. Look for some men like that who are full of the Spirit, above reproach, can't bring any accusations. Men like Daniel, when they wanted to accuse Daniel and they couldn't find anything wrong with them, except the fact that he prayed every day. Pray to God, that's the only thing they find wrong with us, right? They pray all the time. Well, look at them Christians. Go to church all the time. Full of the Spirit. Secondly, full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. There's a promise in the Bible. God said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask. He said, and I won't upbraid him. I won't rebuke him. I give it to him liberally. I give him all he wants. I pray that prayer a lot. Do you? Maybe we should pray it more. What do you think? 
We need wisdom. You say, well, what's wisdom? It's not necessarily being the smartest person in the room, because that's not wisdom. That's just knowledge. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Wisdom in particular is the right use of God's word. Wisdom is the ability, again, to apply a biblical worldview to a real life situation. That's wisdom. That's wisdom to be led of the Holy Spirit to say, you know, when I look at this situation and I, and I understand what the Bible says, here's what we ought to do because here's what God said we ought to do. That's wisdom. Wisdom comes from God, not us. And wisdom isn't about education or how many, how many degree things you got behind your name or, or, or how much you, you think you know. Wisdom is about what God said. And wisdom is about knowing what God said. And so look for some men who are full of the Spirit. No handles on their life above reproach. Men who are full of wisdom. And then finally, notice this. He said men who are willing to serve. That's probably as important as any of it. Why? Because unless they're already willing to serve God, they're not going to serve as a deacon very well. Now I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, let's give people something to do so they'll stay. You think that'll work? Shake your head this way. Mm -mm. You know who I go looking for when I want somebody to do something? Somebody who's already doing something. You know why? Because if they're already doing something of their own accord, then I know they're ready to do something when I ask them to do something. If they're already serving Jesus, if they're already in, if they're already here, you see, listen, if you got a person that you can't, you can't pay money to come here every week, just because you give them a job, they're not going to come here. You know what'll happen? The job won't get done. That's what'll happen. The ministry won't get done. Why? Because their heart ain't in it. But a person who's already serving Jesus, and you come to them and you say, "Hey, I see you. You you've been busy and you really love Jesus. Would you think about expanding your ministry and, and doing this right here?" And sometimes people will say, "Let me pray about it." And that's good. But a lot of times, those people who are already doing something, they're they're already looking for something else to do. And when you come to them and you say, hey, here's another ministry. You know what God's just used you to do? Open the door for them. They've been looking to jump through for a long time. And they love doing that. So look for people that are willing to serve. Look for people who, who, who want to come to serve. And then look at verses five to seven. How did the church respond to this? What happened? And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and, and Nicanor and Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God, look at the result now in verse seven. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I don't have time to deal with it, but I like that last sentence. A great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You know what that means? The priests were getting saved. The priests are serving in the temple were getting saved. The priests who were hanging around with the high priest are getting saved. See, because the gospel is being preached, because the ministry is going on, because you called out seven men to serve in the ministry. Now, let me say something about this whole process. The church was pleased. You know why? This is, this is all part of that servant leadership thing. You know why the church was pleased? Because the apostles gave them a hand in it. They gave them ownership of it. They gave them a part in it. The people who come to this church, this church right here, 
the people who are members of this church, the people who, who give here, the people who give financially of their time, of their effort, of their prayers, of their ministry, they are the church. And when we do ministry, they're the ones who do the ministry, you, not the preacher, not the, not the associate pastor, not the music minister. Yeah, we do ministry. We do the thing that God called us to do. But you know what it does? It enables you to do the ministry. It teaches you and encourages you and encourages all of us. So the church should have a part in the ministry and what goes on. Should have a part in calling out men to serve, deacons. We call that congregational rule. But congregational rule is not this thing to be exercised solely so that we have to take a vote on everything we decide to do for the ministry. Because there are things the Bible tells us to do we don't need to vote about. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to discuss it because God said to do it. But what it does do and what it does mean is that we have, we have godly men who are called to lead the church, elders, and men who serve the church, deacons, and they come alongside the body of believers and minister to one another. And together, together we make decisions and we serve God. In 21 years of this church, there have been very, very few times, maybe, maybe, none that were serious, where somebody came and said, hey, we ought to do something, and I just flat out said no. Very few times. You say, how does that happen? Well, because we're all on the same page. We're on this page. We're all on the same page. We're all about the Word of God. We're about sharing the gospel. And so it's been a long time that nobody's ever come and said, let's do something stupid. And you say, how do you define stupid if it ain't in there? If, it, if, it, if it's man-made or it's something we're to do. Every ministry we do in this church, every single one without exception, is connected to evangelism, sharing the gospel, or ministering, edifying, building up the saints, or praise. Nothing else. It's not connected to a social network where we're gonna you know, uh, have a social club, now listen, there's good fellowship in the church. And man, I love getting together and eating and all that stuff, and that's wonderful. But the purpose, the reason we're here is to do those things. And, and when, they, when, when those apostles called out and they said, hey, call out these seven guys, what was that for? To meet a ministry need in the church. Because the church, by the way, is supposed to take care of his widows. And so the apostles said, hey, let's get some men to do that. And let's get some men to make sure there's equal distribution. And let's get some men to make sure that their needs are met. You say, Pastor, does that stuff happen today? Oh, man, you bet. Sometimes you don't know what because we don't publicize it. But there are single moms raising their kids in this church. Don't have a husband, no dad. They're working moms. They're getting their kids educated. They deal with all the problems that you deal with, with a husband and wife together. They deal with the kids, the disciplinary stuff, their education, working, keeping a roof over their head, and they bring them here, and they teach them about Jesus. And we help those moms. There are people in this church, there are singles, uh, ladies, older ladies who have needs, and man, we help them. We have men in this church who go, go to their houses and mow the grass and fix things that are broken. What is that? That's ministering to the needs of the people in the church. And we don't have to publicize that. And we don't get up here and put a list up on the wall. Why? Because we're ministering to people. It's normal. It's what we do. 
It's kind of like them silly football players that run across the goal line and act like a fool. And I think, man, why don't you act like that's like a normal thing, like you've been there before. Knock it off. Shouldn't say that. But. The same goes in the church, okay? God does ministry. We don't need to run around high-fiving one another, you know. Now, we can praise God for what He does, but let's don't pat ourselves on the back, all right? Let's, let's don't act like we did something big because can we do any less would be the question. Can we really live with ourselves doing less? So tonight, as we, as we have this ordination service, it's about leadership in the church. And it really is about servant leadership. It's about ministry. It's about meeting the needs of God's people, primarily through teaching and sharing the gospel and ministering to their families, our youth ministry, our children's ministry. All those ministries are geared to win the lost to Christ. The baptisms, we, have, we were gonna baptize tonight, but a bunch of sickness, uh, a bunch of them are homesick. And, and, and one's out of town. So on the 13th, hopefully we're gonna baptize all four of them on one night. But it is about serving. So as, as, as Bob comes uh, and Scott, we're gonna have them sit up here. And what I wanna do is invite any man here who's ordained, you're welcome to come around and lay hands on them and pray over them. Uh, and after we pray over them,